calm. It's hard to find calm in this busy world that we live in. Hard to be calm with all that comes running at us on a daily basis. We've got a lot on our minds. We've got a lot to think about. Often our thoughts go negative. We worry. We fret. We imagine all kinds of bad things are coming our way in the future, and so our thought life becomes this battleground between our desire for a, a calming sense of serenity and the paralyzing grip of anxiety. That's why we're looking at what the Bible has to say to us about how to maybe lower the level of anxiety we're feeling. And we're using an acronym, the word CALM, to kind of get at God's truth found in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. The C is to celebrate the nearness of God, to A, to ask in prayer, L, to leave it with God, and M, to meditate on God's goodness. And today we're like taking a second look at the letter A, to ask in prayer. And we're focusing in on what's called intercessory prayer, praying for others. Now remember, I'm encouraging everyone to begin to memorize these five verses from Philippians chapter 4 to keep God's positive promises in your mind as sort of a counterbalance against uh, your thoughts <coughs> excuse me, slipping over into anxiety. So let's read that first half of the passage together. Would you please follow along on the screen? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Great. Now, close your eyes and we'll do it again. Well, you can't do it yet? You're not ready to memorize? Well, there's going to be a test at the end, so you've got to make sure you're actually memorizing this passage. A few years ago, two Christian high schools in Florida faced each other in the AA state uh, football championship game. Cambridge Christian School from Tampa and University Christian School from Jacksonville. And throughout the regular season, both teams had always begun their games with prayer. And so both coaches jointly asked the uh, Florida High School Athletic Association if, uh, if they could begin their game with the players coming together and praying for each other's safety before the game began. Well, the Athletic Association, they obviously said no. Because they thought, even though it was two Christian high schools, somebody, whoever that somebody is, might be offended. So they imposed a ban on all public prayers. Now, to their credit, the football players from both teams ignored what the Athletic Association said, and without any coaches organizing anything or anything like that, they gathered midfield, knelt, and they prayed for each other's safety during the game. Isn't it amazing that we've gotten to the point in our culture where praying is considered a subversive act, where prayer is seen as a dangerous thing, something controversial, something to be feared, something to be litigated, something to be banned? Well, I want you to know that intercessory prayer is a dangerous thing. Intercessory prayer is something that should make people nervous. Why? Because we are asking the God of the universe to intervene in someone else's life. Now just think about that for a moment. How awesome that power is. You are asking the God of the universe to bring his power to bear on the life of somebody else. How awesome is that, especially if God answers, if God takes you seriously. I mean, that's not something that should be treated lightly, like you say to someone, I'll pray for you, and then you don't. Uh, you are going to ask the God of the universe to intervene in that person's life, and then you didn't? Well, shame on you. 
I'm not sure we really appreciate what a privilege, what an awesome responsibility it is to pray for others so that they might connect more deeply with the love and the grace of God. Honestly, isn't that how we often come to prayer, a little casually? We come before the Lord and pray without much thought, without much intensity. If we pray at all, we pray once and then we forget about it. We're not always that serious about our prayers. We don't take the responsibility of intercessory prayer to heart. And I have to tell you a little secret. When we pray that way, God doesn't take our prayers very seriously either. If it doesn't mean that much to us, why should it mean much to God? It's exactly what Jesus tells his disciples about intercessory prayer in Luke chapter 11. Jesus' disciples had come to him and they said, teach us to pray. They'd seen his powerful prayers and they, wanted, they sort of wanted in on the action and so Jesus gave them a pattern to pray called the Lord's Prayer as a model for their prayers. But then Jesus goes on in the rest of the chapter and he tells this very odd little story. It's about an obnoxious neighbor. Odd because it's not about what to pray for. It's a parable about the attitude Jesus wants us to bring to our praying, our intercession on behalf of others, an attitude of persistence and expectancy. Here's Luke 11, starting with verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who, knocks, who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? You see, Jesus liked to use humor to surprise people with the truth about God. This story is supposed to be a little funny. A guy pounding on his friend's door in the middle of the night. The neighbor wakes up. He's disoriented, goes to the window. He's in his jammies, looks down, see his neighbor in a panic at the front door. Where's the fire? I mean, there has to be some grand emergency to roust him out of his bed in the middle of the night. What's going on? What's so important? You've got guests. Your refrigerator is empty. You need bread. We'll bake your own stinking bread. It's the middle of the night for crying out loud. But the guy just keeps on pounding, and today it would end up as an Instagram a crazy neighbor doorbell video. You know, they'd be showing this guy on the porch. Finally, the homeowner gives in, not out of any compassion for the guy's situation, but the guy is so annoying, it's easier to give him what he wants so he can just go back to bed. And then Jesus says, your Abba Father is nothing like that. In fact, he's the total opposite. God is not holding back on answering your prayers. He's not inconvenienced. He's not irritated by your requests. He's not sending you away empty-handed. He's not going to just reluctantly give in to your demands. He's not responding to you just because you're the squeaky wheel that won't stop squeaking. Jesus wants his followers to imitate the man's persistence in knocking but not because God is reluctant to open the door. So there are two things that we need to learn from this passage when we pray for others. God is doing something to us, and God is also doing
doing something through us. When we pray for others, God is doing something to us, and then God is doing something through us. And both these movements of God require persistence on our part in our praying. God is doing something in you when you pray for someone else and you keep on praying. In this parable, the man is not asking for anything for himself. He's asking for his guest, traveled far, he's hungry, no pizza delivery after midnight, no mini-mart on the corner. So he goes next door, and he's going to knock, and he's not just going to knock once and then walk away with his tail between his legs. He is bold, and he is persistent, and Jesus praises that kind of attitude in prayer. God wants us to push in prayer, to pray until something happens. That's the attitude he wants. Like a woman in labor, she's going to push until something happens. When you commit to pray for others, God wants you to push, to pray until something happens. Don't give up. And then Jesus gives that great promise in verses 9 and 10. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and seek and knock. I believe Jesus' words about prayer. But I have to be honest with you and say I struggle with prayer, especially intercessory prayer where we're praying specifically for the needs of others. You see, I struggle with just, just how does this whole prayer thing work? When we ask God to intervene in the life of someone else, what power does prayer actually unleash, especially in those medical situations? Why is it that God even wants us to pray for others when he already knows what they're going to need? One of my favorite Christian authors is Philip Yancey because he's not afraid to try and tackle some of these very tough questions, and he does it with real honesty. In his book called Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? He explores some of these harder questions about intercessory prayer, and he tells the story of a young American soldier in Iraq who learns that his wife back home has advanced cervical cancer, and the diagnosis is not good. In desperation, the young soldier sends an email back to his home church Uh, with the request that everyone in turn would forward the email to as many praying people as they possibly knew. And this is what he says in the email. Pray and forward. It only takes a second to hit forward. Please don't delete this. Your prayer can and perhaps will save her life. Please pray and ask everyone you know to pray for the healing of Cindy, removal of the cancer in her body so that she may enjoy all that life has to offer and continue to be the wonderful mother to our five-year-old son. Well, of course, your heart would go out to that young family and you would want to pray. But Yancey asks a question. He says, does prayer really operate like a pyramid scheme? Like the more people who pray, the more likely you'll get an answer. Does a sick woman who happens to have a lot of praying friends, is she more likely to get better than you know, an equally faithful woman who doesn't have as many praying friends? What's supposed to happen when we pray for people? I'm not sure I can answer all of those questions. I know I can't do it completely this morning, but here's just the one thing that God laid on my heart. I want to talk about the meaning of intercession. Intercession means to put yourself between two parties, one with a need and the other with the answer. And the intercessor is seeking to bring those two parties together. The intercessor pleads the case of the person with the need. Uh, One of the best examples of this is Moses in the Old Testament. Remember, Moses was the one... God chose to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, and they became the people called Israel. On their way to this new land, God was shaping them. And so Moses often left the people, went up into the mountains to pray and to receive commands and instructions from God, the Ten Commandments and the law and all the rest. Now, once when Moses was up in the mountain, 
the people in the valley decided to rebel. He'd been gone so long, they were kind of starting to panic. They thought he wasn't coming back, and so they began to doubt God's presence and God's power. In Exodus 32, they then make this golden idol, a golden calf, begin to worship this created thing instead of their God, Yahweh. But Moses did return right in the middle of them worshiping this golden calf, and it was not pretty. He was so angry, he actually smashed the tablets of the law. Moses called the people to make a choice, who would serve the Lord and who would not. And then civil war broke out, and it was bloody. Moses aside one. And as they get ready to go up onto the mountain, he decides he has to intercede on behalf of Israel. He says in Exodus 32.30, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up before the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses assumes the position of an intercessor when he says, I will go up before the Lord. Moses pleads with God to cover the sins of Israel so that fellowship between God and Israel can be restored. Moses puts himself squarely between the people on one side and God on the other and seeks to bring the two parties together. That's what an intercessor does. In this way, Moses was a preview of what the Messiah Jesus would do. Speaking in God's voice of this coming Messiah, the prophet Isaiah said this, Isaiah 53, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. And here's the important verse. For he bore the sin of man and made intercession for the transgressors. The Messiah would be this intercessor. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus fulfilling this role, bearing our sin, and then interceding with us on behalf of with the Father. We see this throughout his ministry, especially in what's called the high priestly prayer in John 17, where he intercedes for the disciples. But intercession is actually the ministry that Jesus is exercising right now on our behalf, exalted in heaven. Romans 8:34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, who more than that was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's Jesus right now. Hebrews 7.25 says the same thing, for he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So when the Bible tells us to pray for others, God is actually inviting us to imitate Jesus and to join Jesus in this ministry of intercession. Our ministry, our our intercessory prayers are made possible because of what Jesus is doing right now and his intercession. By ourselves, we have no entree to the throne of heaven. We've been given the privilege of praying for others because our lives are joined with Christ. And his main job right now is intercession on our behalf. That's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name because his name is the only name that counts. Amazingly, when we pray for others, God is doing something in us. He is making us more and more like Jesus. He will actually bring change in your heart as you begin to pray for other people. So when you pray for the anxiety in someone else's life, you will actually become less anxious. That's just how God works. That's how he does things. Get your mind off yourself. Pray for someone else. And guess what? God is going to meet your needs your gracious Abba Father. 
The underlying purpose of prayer is to get us in sync with what God's will, God's will is. Prayer is about tuning into God's uh, will, sort of like a radio trying to pick up a station or a Wi-Fi trying to find a good hotspot. You want to be in the spot where the signal is the strongest. If you're praying for someone else, the main focus of the intercessor is to find and kind of cooperate with the will of God in that situation. And sometimes we approach prayer as though we're trying to push God into doing something that God doesn't really want to do. Or we just want it to be handled the way we want it to be handled. True intercession begins with the desire to see the person we're praying for come closer to Christ by whatever means and whatever circumstances God decides. When we enter into intercession for another person, we're seeking God's will to be accomplished in that person's life and mainly that they will be drawn closer into a loving relationship with Jesus. And after that, once we have that mindset, then you're free to pray very specifically for healing, for the things that people keep, uh, keep people up at night, for family problems, for world events. We're supposed to pray for our church, our friends. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to pray for people who don't yet know Christ. We're supposed to pray for our country and our leaders. And boy, we must not be praying hard enough, are we? And in those specific requests, we always add the prayer that the person we're praying about would experience a closer, deeper experience of God's grace and love. And that Christ would be glorified in the situation in some way. Being an intercessor is Christ-like work, so never take it for granted. Sometimes God delays in answering our prayers because he's doing something in you, the prayer, R.A. Torrey writes in his great book on intercessory prayer, God yields to the persistent cries of his children and gives the things that he longs to give them all the time, but which it would not be wise to give would not be for the person's own good to give unless they were trained to that persevering faith that will not take no for an answer. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. It may be that God is doing something in you, the prayer that requires you to learn persistence in prayer. And then God is working through you when you pray for others. While you are praying for them, you are inviting Christ's presence into that very moment, regardless of what the future answer might be. At that very moment when you pray, God is in that moment. God is in that moment of prayer doing something in their life. Some of you may know the, or have seen the new Mr. Rogers movie starring Tom Hanks. It's a fictionalized account of a friendship that develops between Mr. Rogers and a journalist. Uh, Mindy Ward pointed me out to the original article that this movie was based on, an article by journalist Tom Genode about his friendship with Mr. Rogers. It was published in Esquire magazine in 1998. In the article, Genode writes about how his heart was impacted by Mr. Rogers' daily uh, habit of praying for people by name. And once while visiting uh, Mr. Rogers in his office, uh, one of the pastors from Mr. Rogers' church was there. And Mr. Rogers asked her to pray for the three of them. The pastor's name was Deb. The three of them joined hands, and this is how, as you know, describes what happens next. I took his hand and then put my hand around her hand. Her hand was warm, or his hand was, was warm, hers was cool. And we bowed our heads and closed our eyes, and I heard Deb's voice calling out for the grace of God. What is grace? I'm not certain at all. All I know is that my heart felt like a spike. And then in that room, it opened and felt like an umbrella. I had never prayed like that before, ever. Once upon a time, you see, I lost something, and I prayed to get it back, and I didn't. And now this was it. 
the missing word, the unuttered promise, the prayer I had been waiting to say for a very long time. His heart opened like an umbrella. His heart opened to grace in that moment of prayer. I want you to have moments like that. When you pray with people and they experience the presence and the grace of God. When you pray for others, God is doing something in you, but he is also doing something through you because it takes courage to pray this way. So when you hear someone express a deep concern, they share something that they're struggling with, something that's keeping them up at night, can you have the courage to say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And then you really mean it. You simply ask people, can I pray for you? And then you do, not always right at that moment, but you take that commitment to pray seriously and you keep on praying. You invite God's presence into that person's situation. You invite God's grace into their life. That's something God wants you to do. That's how he works in you and through you when you pray for others. So I want to give you a practical way to connect with others through prayer. Today when you leave the service at the usher's table, I will invite you to pick up just one of these little bags. Pick it up from the ushers. Inside you're going to find something pretty special. Let me just open mine up here. These are prayer chips, not poker chips. They will not do you any good at Atlantic City, okay? They're prayer chips. Three of them, and on one side it says, I'm praying for you, and has the Bible verse, John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness. And then on the back, the other side is just the church logo and contact information. It's magnetized, it'll stick on a refrigerator, cubicle at work, or wherever. There are three chips in the bag, keep one for yourself, Put the other two in your pocket or your purse. And then when you encounter someone who needs prayer, just say, my weirdo pastor asked us to do something crazy. When we pray for people, we're supposed to give them one of these chips as a reminder that our church actually takes prayer seriously. It's not just thoughts and prayers. We actually take prayer seriously. So when I say to you that I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to give you this chip as a reminder that I, am, I mean what I say, and I'm going to pray for you. I want you to carry these chips with you, to look for opportunities to give them away to someone else and to pray for them. Start with two. When you've done that, we're going to have plenty in the church office. We hope this becomes an ongoing uh, pattern for our church, That uh, just a simple way to connect with people, to hand out more. Simple physical way that makes you more aware of perhaps opportunities to pray. You don't have to be a deacon, you don't have to be an elder, you don't have to be anything. God wants all of us to take seriously intercessory prayer, but it takes courage to pray for others. This past Tuesday, I had to go to the doctor. I've been having some ear issues, so I went to see my ENT, and I hadn't seen her a little over two years. I really, I did not recognize her. She was so enormously pregnant. I mean, I literally did not recognize her. I mean, she was just ready to pop, you know. She told me her due date is actually tomorrow. So all the time she's poking around in my ear, I go, what if she goes into labor right now? You know, I'm going to have to deliver this baby on the floor of the doctor's office. You know, that's how my mind, my mind operates. But after she was done with the exam, I just felt compelled to ask her. I said, is it okay if I pray for you in the safe delivery of your baby? Now, I don't know anything about her religious background. I mean, I kn she knows I'm a pastor. That gives me a leg up. I understand that. But, you know, I have never had anybody say no. I've never had anybody say, ah, you know, don't pray for me. 
it's a gracious invitation. It doesn't have to be a six-hour prayer, just a couple of sentences. So I put my hand on her shoulder. I just prayed a couple sentences, said a simple amen. I stuck my hand in my pocket, realized I'd forgotten to bring any prayer chips. It would have been the perfect opportunity to do what I'm talking about this morning, and I blew it. So don't be like me. Keep your prayer chips with you. They're just simple tokens. But who knows how God might use something as simple as this just to transform someone else's life and maybe transform yours as well as you have the courage to join Jesus in his ministry of intercession. I do not understand exactly how prayer works, but I know Jesus wants us to pray. He's commanded us to pray. He taught us how to pray. That's good enough for me. So keep a list of your intercessory prayers. Start a notebook of who you're praying for, the date it began, and maybe what the answer was later on. Pray with the desire that God's will would really be done in every situation. So ask in prayer, trusting Jesus on their behalf. And when you do that, I also want you to see how your anxiety ebbs away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just grateful that you are the one who paved the way to be our intercessor. You stand in constant intercession for us. So we join you, Jesus. It's not in the name of Jeff or Colleen or Mike or anybody like that. It's in Jesus' name that we can come before the throne of God's eternal love. So give us the courage this week, even once that we might have the courage to say, can I pray for you? Why are those words so hard to say? Can I pray for you, Lord? And then help us to really mean it. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.